I, whenever I said I was going to talk about sufferings and difficulties, I had a very specific kind of motive for wanting to talk to all of you about that, not because I want all of you to suffer, but I do know that we all suffer. And one thing that I've just seen again and again in my life is how do we figure out how to suffer well? And it's one of those mysteries of life, right? Like there's no one answer like, oh, this is exactly like, obviously it's take up your cross and follow our Lord. Like, duh, that's a simple answer. But how does it actually flesh itself out in our life? And so what I actually want to do is maybe start at the end of a story. So how many of you have ever watched Lord of the Rings? How many have watched? How many have read the entire series all the way through the Return of the King? Okay. (laughs) Almost nobody. So at the end of the book, Return of the King, it doesn't end as it does in the movie. There's like an extra part at the very end. And the extra part at the end of the Return of the King is not that Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin all go back to the Shire and eventually Frodo leaves. But instead, whenever Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin make their way back to the Shire, they actually find something rather disturbing. So what happens in the book is that Treebeard, you know, the big Ent guy, he has Saruman trapped inside the big tower, and he decides to show mercy to him and lets Saruman and Wormtongue go. Saruman, Wormtongue actually make their way to the Shire, and they actually take up shop and take over the Shire. And so whenever Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin get back, they don't come back to the idyllic place that they left. In fact, it's quite the hellscape. Basically, all the, all the uh, countryside has been made barren. They now have burned up most of the trees. Saruman pretty much does to the Shire what he did to Isengard, except he has less power now. now. But then it's interesting, like, why did Tolkien include this in the book? Like, a lot of people ask that, like, because then eventually what happens is, especially Sam, Merry, and Pippin, who all really have grown from their experiences in the adventure of the ring, help to organize the resistance. They fight back, and they take back over the, over the Shire. And in the book, Ladriel, you know, the elf woman in the first book, she actually gives Sam a box of dirt and a seed, a Malorn seed, so like this beautiful tree that grows in Lorien only. And so Sam, after that, goes around the Shire and he sprinkles this soil and people comment the next year that they never had such a good harvest in the history of the Shire. And actually the year, like the ale that was brewed in that year, they said for generations afterwards, people would say, hmm, that was a 1421. Like that was, it was so good, right? So it becomes this byword. But the reason why Tolkien included that in there is because then we also see Frodo take on a special rule. After they fight back and then Saruman and Wormtongue are cornered, Frodo encourages all the hobbits and others to show mercy. He says, okay, let's let's usher Saruman out, but Wormtongue, you can stay if you want to. Like, we'll we'll feed you, get your strength back up, and we'll let you go, because he sees what's happening. He sees that Saruman's lying to Wormtongue, and he sees a little bit of good in him from his experience with Gollum. And so Frodo becomes this image, this figure of mercy, whereas the other three kind of use their given attributes, whether it's Merry and Pippin with being knights of Rohan and Gondor. But then it's, you know, and Sam, who had to help Frodo from some really difficult times. So he's the guy you want in a pinch, right? He eventually becomes mayor of the Shire, which is understandable because that guy is going to keep his cool under pressure. The reason why I share this end with you is because if you look at the entire story of Lord of the Rings, what Tolkien's trying to show us is even though that story seems more boring, 
and ultimately shows us how those characters have grown. They can now take care of themselves. Because before that, they, starting off, are bumbling idiots. They are. Like Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, like, they go through the old forest, they get lost, they get tricked by Old Man Willow. Tom Bombadil has to save them, he lets them go again. They get captured by Barrow Whites, and then Tom Bombadil has to rescue them again. They get debris, they stupidly let Frodo's real last name slip, thus alerting the ring race, because Mary's an idiot. And it's like all again and again and again and again and again, and it's just like, as you're reading it, it's like, oh my gosh, can't they do anything right, right? But I think why this is such a valuable lesson for us and why I share that entire story is because they can't become the men or hobbits, I guess. They're meant to be unless they make all those mistakes, unless they actually try to adventure and take on life itself. They can't actually be the same characters that are able to save the Shire at the end of the book. Like if they would have stayed comfortable in the Shire, the Shire would have forever probably been taken over. And why I think that's so important for all of us to look at is because what I see in so many of us, you know, I was actually just thinking today, um, you know, just at how we all look at ourselves and like what are our given personalities bring to the table. Like it's so easy for some of us to like look at ourselves and be like, man, he's so much more funny than I am. She's prettier than I am. You know, he's more quick-witted than I am. He's more athletic. She's better and smarter. Like, we can say all these things, and we look at ourselves, and we look in the mirror, and what we see ultimately sometimes can be rather discouraging. And it's like, what the heck do I bring to the table? Like, what's my value? And I bring that up because, like, I was thinking about that for just myself, right? So this is like a little bit of me opening up, like, how I'm trying to connect all this in. And this is something I thought about many times, but today I was just, like, praying about this talk. And it's like, you know, I can look around me as a priest, and it's like, what the heck do I bring to the table? You know, my own family of parishes, I have three vicars. It's like... Father Aaron's more fun than me. Father Rector's is smarter than me. Father Mondike's holier than I am. You know, my best friend, Father Sean Wilson, he is more charismatic than me. Like, I can start stacking up all these things and like, what the heck do I bring to the table, right? And I realized, and I've realized this many times, is like, one of the things that I, and this is not to just be talking about, I'm going to try to explain how we each search for this within ourselves. It's like, there's many things about me that I could go on and on to explain this, but it's like, but I'm gutsy, like, man, like, one of the things I've just come to realize about me as a priest is, like, I am pretty willing to, like, take chances and make a fool of myself and to go out, and it's like, and it's a mess, like, yeah, like, it's been a mess at times, but I've also learned, like, so much, like, at age 34, I think I've learned, like, more than I ever thought I would learn in a lifetime as a priest, and it's just because I've constantly been like, well, let's try this. I'll do this. I'll say this. I see this happening. And so I've always been that direct individual. Like that was something that my brother seminarians, we always had to do a peer vows at the seminary. 
And it was always one thing like, Jared is, you know, because I wasn't a priest at that time, so it wasn't Father Jared. Jared is honest and direct. And I'll never forget, like, Father Ethan Moore actually had one of the, like, biggest gut punches in my seminary career. Like, he gave me a peer eval, and he made the comment that, like, Jared is honest, very direct. Guys look up to him, but he really needs to strive to be more affirming. And I was like, oh, like, right? Like, because it's, like, good to be direct, but it's, like, I can also be direct, like, hey, you're awesome for this reason. Like, you know, like, and why I share all this with you is because I want to invite all of you, like, the sufferings in our life are oftentimes self-imposed. It's sometimes excruciating to, like, bear with ourselves, right? Like, anybody else relate with that? Like, oh, man, I messed that up. I'm stupid. Like, I didn't do this right. I wish I had the courage to ask him or her out. Like, all these things that we constantly beat ourselves up about. All these things that we always get frustrated with about. But I think, really, the sufferings in our own life are also meant to be embraced. Like, in some ways, because of sin, that's kind of built into our existence at this point. It's one of those most mysterious things. And our experiences are going to shape us in a certain way. And so, like, again, to go back then to Lord of the Rings, which I'm trying to use as, like, this example of how we draw this out. Like, as I was saying before, like, yes, Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin are all kind of idiots at the beginning of the book. But they're also, like, courageous idiots. And they all bring something different to the table. Like, Frodo's the most mature, and so he exercises a good deal of caution on them. Like, they would have made even bigger mistakes if his wits hadn't been about him, if he hadn't kind of kept his solid demeanor and his merciful kind of demeanor. And then we see, like, Sam, who is just, like, the most loyal friend you could ever imagine, right? Like, he ne he's never going to leave Frodo's side. He's in it for the long haul, no matter what, thick or thin. And then we see Mary and Pippin. They're kind of depicted in the movies as extraordinary silly, and they kind of are. But they're also extraordinarily inquisitive. They're kind of foolhardy, that is, brave, and kind of like to an extreme. And so they all bring these kind of interesting traits to the table, humor, all these things. And throughout the story, you see each of them kind of refine the raw material that is their character, of their personality. And for all of you who are young men and women, like, one thing I want to encourage you to do, because I see too many, like, fall into, like, a status of, I'm just going to, like, try to get by. I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm just going to, like, be a wallflower. And now... If you're quiet, like, to a certain extent, you need to embrace, like, what is a silence, which can be the gift of listening, which can be the gift of, like, being there for others and helping to add to a conversation in a very particular way. Like, some of the funniest people I know are people who don't talk all that much, but they just have, like, a comment they throw in here and there that just adds something to the conversation, right, and keeps it kind of lively and just makes everybody laugh. But what I do want to say is, like, Life is tough enough already. Like, you might as well take it on. Because <laughs> what our Lord meant whenever he said, take up your cross and follow me, wasn't just merely like, oh, man, i got to, like, get up today and do the same thing I've always done and, like, whine because whatever. Like, I've 
you know, like, I don't have a job or I'm not where I want to be in life. I'm not married, whatever it is. Like we all have these conversations that we have with ourselves to where we think like taking up our cross upon ourselves become, is like to accept, accept like where we are. Whereas it is the exact opposite. Sainthood is ultimately about growth. St. Francis de Sales, does anybody know what his nickname is? Anybody? He's known as the gentleman saint because he was known for being so kind and tender-hearted. But do you know what he struggled with the most in his life early on? Temper. He was known for being very quick to anger, being very easily frustrated and annoyed. But through this process of entering into what he was truly about, which he saw in that, like this desire to share the truth with others, this desire for justice, that he ultimately realized like is a good thing, but you don't actually achieve justice or the right thing by quickly getting angry at somebody. And he learned over time, and there's this kind of, it's like 6th century kind of like, uh, or 16th century like science, right? Like there's stories that he got so good at like internalizing that anger that they actually found like hard pustules on like his liver. I don't think that's a result of his anger. That's probably something else. But like they say this, but I think the point that they were trying to make with that is like, he got so good at like reining himself in in those moments. And I mean, he was so good. So he's Bishop of Geneva. If, nobody, if anybody knows Geneva, Switzerland, historically speaking, especially in Francis de Sales' lifetime, that was the center of the Calvinist reformation. So the Calvinists were a Protestant group that believed in predestination, so no free will. And so he was bishop, and he was actually his, where he actually lived, because he couldn't actually live in Geneva because they wouldn't let Catholics in, but he was still bishop there. So he was right across the board in France. But over time, he eventually began winning them over, and he was eventually allowed by the end of his life to actually walk the streets and converse with people and began to obtain a number of converts. But it took an immense amount of patience on his part. And so the obstacle, the suffering that he encountered ultimately became the path to his sainthood. And so it is for each and every one of us. And again, I don't know what it is for you that you're struggling with now or you've struggled with your entire life. But I think so often we see the obstacles that lie before us. (laughs) Only if I had more time could I pray. That's a simple one. But more directly could be like, (laughs) well, maybe if I was in better shape, I'd be able to date more, be more attractive. Maybe if, you know, like all these things that we can put up as obstacles in our way. But ultimately, it is exactly those things which allow us, in the end, to become who we're called to be. Whatever the obstacle is. So, yeah, so, you know, for... So there's like the St. Francis de Sales example, right? But I also think there's like an example in each of our lives. We can find these different things. Like for example, 
don't know if you, how much everybody knows about, you know, beacons of light. But it's been like one of the hardest modicums, <laughs> things I've ever been through in my life. And there was a period in like my priesthood where I was like, why? Like this is taking me away from all these other things that I think are more important for a priest to be doing. This is something that I'm carrying out of obedience, but I don't feel like I can carry it. All these people are opposing me. There's lies being told about me. All these kinds of things, right? But there came a moment of grace, like towards the end of this past summer, there was like, that's all true, but I'm the one who's here. I'm the one in this situation, right? And if you remember from the movie, it happens earlier in the books, but there's a particular scene in Lord of the Rings in which Frodo, you know, says, like, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf simply responds, like, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And Tolkien, for his part, was deeply, deeply Catholic. And I'm convinced, like, throughout his work, he is trying constantly again and again to really show us the fruits of suffering. Because in that little line there, there's this encouragement for Frodo, like, to recognize. And then he goes on to emphasize, like, there are powers of evil at work in this world. There's also... You know, but there's also forces of good. Like Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were also meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. Like, right? Like, <laughs> there is an extent to which it's like, I was viewing my assignment like, poor me. Poor me. Why did this ever happen? Instead of realizing, like, to an extent I was meant to be here. And that's applicable to each of our lives. Like, you know, St. Teresa of Avila says that if you're looking for the will of God, like, look at the person in front of you. Like, so often we are searching in the distance for something. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Like, maybe here's where I'll take my tangent on, like, my frustration with modern discernment. Like, in all honesty, like, sometimes people, like, ask me, like, how did you discern priesthood? It's like, I literally went to adoration, felt like the Lord called me, and then I just went. And that's not, like, a credit to me. It was just, like, this realization on my part and, like, part of my personality that's just, like, I recognize I'm not going to be able to rest because I even ran away for a year. And whenever I did, it was like very clear, like, oh, yeah, I'm never going to have peace unless I go back to seminary. And why I think that's important for all of you is like, I think sometimes I talk to young people and it's like, should I date? Should I go to, you know, should I go, go to seminary? Should I go to religious life? And it's like, choose something and you'll find out probably quicker. Like, try dating. Because there are actually a lot of priests who were all the way to being engaged and then discerned priesthood. 
Now, I hope that doesn't scare ladies, but like that happens. <laughs> like that happens. And my point there is like, I think so often we get caught up in like, I have to know the right thing. And it's like, experience teaches you the right thing. Like, obviously, the church has laid out for us, like, certain rules and boundaries, right? So I'm not saying go off and do stupid things, like party, drink, and all the things that go with that. What I'm talking about is, like, actually taking some chances in your life, like, personally. Like, just working towards that. And, like, there's always this experience, too, of, like, there's a fear of rejection. Like, whenever it comes to dating, like, just ask. And I think something that I often see is, like, whenever I've encouraged men to, like, ask and then they get rejected a couple times, which is hard for them, right, obviously, and I understand why. But then there's also, like, a motivation, like, okay, I'm going to start going to the gym, like, three days a week. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to get my prayer life in order. I'm going to go see a counselor about my struggle with this. And then all of a sudden, what you see happening is like he grows in confidence. All of a sudden, he's grown up, right? He's different. And the same thing happens for women, too. Like, it is so fundamentally important for you to just simply try. And that sounds like such a trite answer, but that's what our Lord wants for you. Because he tells us that we are meant to have life and have it to the full. And in your life, there's going to be like enough suffering the way it is. You don't need to make it any worse. And like as we embrace those sufferings in our life too, it becomes more profound, beautiful, grace-filled, meaningful, like all those things. Because what I think so often we can do is we can live like a proxy life. Oh, I can only imagine if I was like married right now. And it's like, well, you're not. So you got to deal with that in the moment, right? Because we did this in seminary too. I was like, oh my gosh, when am I going to be done? This is taking nine years. How long? Like how long until this finally happens? And there can be these frustrations that we all have with life. But ultimately, like, something that we see, again, like, from Lord of the Rings is, like, they have no idea. Like, Frodo has a sense that he might have to go to Mount Doom, but he's really hoping that he just has to go to Rivendell, drop it there, and, it's, and he has no more part to play in it, right? But he's at least willing to take that first step. I forget, I was recently listening to a podcast, and I forget, I think he said it's a reference to a movie or a book, I can't remember which, but he taught, but like, he's like, almost everything is really about an insane 10 seconds of courage. And it's so true. Like the initial stages of just trying to take next steps in our life are often like the barrier of just getting through to even trying. Like once you take that first step, then you kind of like stumble, like quite literally sometimes stumble through the next steps, but you're at least on the way. And that's what we see like throughout, again, Lord of the Rings is like, you see this, like they bumble, they make mistakes, they're inquisitive. And it's just like, ah, like I've realized that how much I think our culture has taught us that we have to do everything exactly right in the exact proper order. Like 
how often do we like to point out plot holes in different movies? Like that was one of my favorite pastimes in college seminary, right? Like, why didn't they just like take the eagles to Mount Doom and like da da da? And it's like you're missing like the entire point of any story, which is like character development. And if it's all perfect and everybody's okay, that's a boring freaking story. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Like, there's nothing there that really grabs our attention. And sometimes you're, like, sitting there like, don't do that, don't do that. And it's like, but we do that in our own lives all the time. And it's okay. It's okay. Like, really, whenever I'm talking about suffering, we have to recognize that even as we look at somebody like, like the disciples in the Gospels, like, there again, like again, this is where I think Tolkien was very clearly allowing his Catholic faith to show is like they are bumbling idiots too. Like how many times can we look at Peter and be like, Peter like insert one foot and then somehow he managed to insert the other at the same time. Like it's impressive. <laughs> like he is really, really good at this. But then we see throughout the story like they begin to get it, right? Like, and I have, to, I have to realize, I have to see that, like, for our Lord, probably one of the most frustrating things and painful things for him was, like, these men don't get it. Like, how long, how many times am I going to repeat myself until you figure out, like, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Before they stop saying, like, not to you, Lord, not to you. Like, it sounds like a compassionate thing for them to say, right? Like, we don't want you to die. We don't want you to suffer. But they're not getting what his mission is. They're not getting that there's so much more to what he's trying to convey to them. That they, too, are invited into that communion of suffering. And so in our own lives, like, again, there's voluntary suffering that we take on ourselves because... We're hard on ourselves. We don't challenge ourselves enough, whichever one it may be. Sometimes all those things can exist within ourselves in 30 different ways in our own life. But then there's also like things that are going to happen in our life that we don't choose, that are going to be extraordinarily painful, going to be difficult. And really like, the voluntary like act of like okay lord i don't know which direction you want to go but i know that you whatever it may be like okay so let's go back to like vocational discernment like marriage is a legitimate vocation religious life is a legitimate vocation so as i'm sitting here trying to decide which one is right for me instead of just jumping into it and seeing because both are good, viable options and we have to trust the Lord to direct us in the right direction. Like one of the biggest mistakes we can make and like I see it happen to pastors too often is like we get caught up in our head like this or that, this or that, this or that. And obviously like 
there needs to be a process. We need to ask for opinions, and we need to learn to grow in that. But at the end of the day, like, it's like, okay, these are all maybe like good options in one case, and we just need to choose one thing to do. Or in another case, like, this all sucks, but it's in the permissive will of God, so let's embrace it. And so let's, let's try this less sucky option. Like, I don't know. But what I'm trying to point out here is, like, in your life, there are times where you need to think, discern, and kind of reflect. And I think that's where smartphones have taken up a lot of our bandwidth. Like, I started doing Exodus 90, and I've realized, like, oh, man, like, I am thinking through a lot more things in my life now instead of just trying to avoid so many things by, you know, YouTube, another podcast, like all these things, right? Like, we need space to think, yes. But also at a certain point, we need to be willing to try, kind of like jump into the water and figure it out. Because then taking on that voluntary suffering of trying to figure it out, like trying to date, get married, all the struggles that come with that, going to seminary, a religious order, and then like the pain that that is, because it's like, man, it is not easy, like, doing any of those things. But those are also things that are necessary for us in order to be able to live our lives to the full. Because, again, like, to go back to the story that I started with of the scouring of the shower, which is the title of the chapter of the book, is that ultimately their experiences leading up to that point perfected the four hobbits so that way they could carry out that particular mission, that particular task by themselves. Whenever we willingly embrace suffering in our life in big ways, like again, making those decisions, or even just like embracing penances in other small ways, like I think we've forgotten the real value of fasting, the value of other sort of like small physical penances. Like one of my favorite, like if you really want to try something that it's tough. At least it's tough for me as if somebody who worked at Crown for a year before he went to seminary. We only had 18 minutes to eat, so I became a very fast eater at that point in time. But like a penance that I heard, and I've, I'm just like, I don't think I could actually do this because I eat too fast. But like a penance that like I, I heard on retreat last year was try to say a Hail Mary in between each bite. Like, and it actually forces you to take time, and it really slows you down. Or even like simple things like if you're at the table, like another thing, he was just talking about how like he thinks that priests should do, you know, one table penance. And what he means by that is like it isn't anything that necessarily anybody's going to notice, right? Like I want to add salt to my mashed potatoes, but I'm not going to. Or you know what? I want seconds, but I'm not going to. Someone offers me dessert, I'm going to say no, even though I'm perfectly allowed to. Like, there's these little ways of self-denial that we have to learn in order for each of us to fulfill our vocations. And I think in a small way, we need to learn to embrace those because what I find wherever I actually embrace those things is I become more thoughtful, more kind and attentive to other people's needs because I learned to deny my own. Like if we're so focused on ourselves and like our comfort, specifically our comfort, like, it's really hard to see, like, oh, somebody needs help carrying that, or 
whatever it may be, or they seem a little off, like maybe I'm going to pull them aside and see what's going on. Like we have to learn in these little ways to deny ourselves. And this goes in all elements of our life because then also it teaches you if you're going to be a priest or religious, like you learn to deny yourself in favor of what your bishop or your superior ask of you. You learn to also like deny a certain amount of like self-gratification of one of the biggest temptations any of us face. And it's certainly true of us priests because it's one of the biggest temptations I have to fight. There's like an idea between reward-centered leadership and responsibility-centered leadership. And what the idea is is essentially reward-centered leadership is like, okay, is this action going to make me look better, benefit me in some way? Responsibility is like, what's my duty? What am I being called to do? And the difference between the two is rather stark. Sometimes they're going to meet up, but like the difference is rather stark. And I think in our own lives, it's not just leadership. It's also like a related thing within our own lives. Like ask yourself often in prayer, because I have to ask myself all the time because I find new things all the time. Like where am I still attached? Like am I more focused on like just satisfying my next desire or my stomach rumbles whenever I want this or that? Or I'm able to withstand a little bit and be like, you know what? I can kind of put that off for now to take care of this or, you know, like to go to the gym or to spend an hour in prayer. Like we can set those times aside because, man, it is one of the most difficult things in life to set aside like our desires. Like one of the most healthy things whenever I'm in like a good state spiritually, I can tell. There's like two ways ultimately I can tell if I'm in a good place. One is very, very early in the morning. The first thing that goes wrong, you know, I drop my toothbrush. As I'm taking one of my morning vitamins, like it falls on the ground. I can tell what kind of mood and what state I'm in by whether I laugh at myself or I get kind of ticked, like, you idiot. This is going to make me late. Like, right? Like, I can tell. The difference is stark. And I've learned to start paying attention to that because it tells me, like, ooh, if I'm a little bit ticked, I need to take a step back and, like, in prayer, be like, okay, what's going on? It's like, oh, I'm frustrated because I didn't get as much sleep as I wanted to last night. Couldn't fall asleep, blah, 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 blah. Got a late start, which is my fault, like, and so now I'm running behind. So that's one thing that tells me, like, where I'm at. The second thing is after Mass, like, and sometimes I have to run, so I have to run, but, like, after Mass, am I willing to take some time in Thanksgiving with our Lord? And not just willing, do I do it? So I'm often not willing, (laughs) like initially. But do I do it, right? Like that tells me also where I'm at because it's like oftentimes I want to do that because I want to get my second cup of coffee or I want to get a a little something else in my stomach or I want to get to the first thing of the day or, you know, like I have this meeting coming up 
and I really would just want to take some time for myself, like five minutes beforehand instead of praying with our Lord. Those two things tell me very, very clearly, like, one is I'm centered on an aspect of, like, I can receive life on life's terms, and I can accept what the Lord's given me in the moment, whether it even seems a bit painful or inconvenient. And the other one tells me whether or not I'm willing to deny whatever it is I desire in that moment, whether it's to get something done, to fill my stomach, to make a little me time. Like those two things tell me a lot about where I'm at. And so it's really valuable for all of us in our own lives to really look at like, what are those signs within your life? I'm not saying like you can try to use those. They may not work for you in the same way they do for me because we're all different, right? But what I'm inviting you to do is like look at those points of inconvenience in your life and are you willing to deny yourself? Ultimately, that's what it comes up comes down to. Like in both those instances, like, am I willing to say, like, oh well? In the one case, like to just allow life to happen and within God's permissive will. And the other, is it like, oh well, I want to get this done, I want to get to work now, but I'm gonna take three minutes, which isn't that much time, to pray mid-morning prayer, make a Thanksgiving and then go on with my day. And so in your own life, like look for those points because that aspect of attachment is something that really defines a lot of what ends up happening to us and how we make decisions thenceforward. Like, and you're always gonna find things. You're always gonna find things like that you look at your life and you're like, ooh, I like that. It's not necessarily bad, but, like for example, I was at Spiritual Direction this past Tuesday, and my Spiritual Director, you know, we weren't gonna, I usually go four to six weeks, and we couldn't meet until six weeks out, so it's just right after Lent starts, so he's like, um, so have you thought about what you're gonna do for Lent? And I was like, um, well, you know, like I'm doing Exodus 90, so that, that's enough, right? Like, and he's like, oh no, like what else? Like, and I'm like, well, I was thinking of like doing a couple of these things, it was mostly like reading a particular book and maybe a particular devotional practice. And he just like, and it's just funny how like, yeah, um, he like just asked like a question that was like, oh man, it kind of revealed a part of my heart. He was like, you know, as priests, we can oftentimes get a lot of different gifts. And especially in a particular area, people like learn that we like a particular thing. Like, is there like a piece or is there like, alcohol and it's like well I don't drink alcohol so it's like okay and it's like oh well like but he's like what about clothing items and all of a sudden immediately came to my mind my probably 100 plus sock collection of crazy <laughs> socks <laughs> that my parents have been buying me socks for years and then parishioners have seen me wearing these crazy socks and I have so many of them and again it's not like necessarily bad like I didn't go out and spend my life savings on socks and he's like, well, maybe you could think about giving up a portion of those. Like, he's like, I don't know how, how what a big portion. I'm not going to tell you that. And I was like, thinking to myself, like, I'm not attached. I just really like them. Like, right? Like, <laughs> but it was like, oh, man, like. And again, that's such a little thing. But again, it was like one of those things of like, why is it a big deal? Like, with 100 socks, I wear those socks at mo each pair, like, at most four times a year. 
like why the heck do I care, right? A lot of them are repeats too. Like I have probably five pairs of John Vianney socks because I'm a priest, right? So people have got me all those. And we can see in our own lives like these little points to where we get attached, right? Like to our little comforts. And I just always encourage you to look at those because again, whenever it comes to suffering, like it's such a little thing, but it's also so freeing. Like anytime the Lord has tugged me to let go of something, it's always been a moment in my life when I've taken a step forward. Always. And so I don't know what the Lord's asking you to let go of. Maybe you know right now I'm saying it and you're like, dang it, stop bringing that up. (laughs) Or maybe you're like, huh, I don't know. But the Lord's always going to use it to bring us forward. Like it's tough. Like I can remember in college seminary, in prayer each day, just kept on feeling this tug. Like I had an Xbox 360, which I think that's probably outdated by three or four generations at this point. <laughs> but back in the day, like Xbox 360, I loved gaming a lot. And like a lot of my free time spent with other seminarians at the seminary was playing video games with them. And also playing them by myself, to be honest, too. So it wasn't totally all social. I just felt this tug like, sell the 360. No, it's... I'm doing all right. Like, I'm passing my classes. I'm getting by. Like, it's okay. And just keeps kind of tugging, tugging. And then finally, I was just like, you know what, Lord? Fine. I'll get rid of it. So I sold it to, I think it was actually another seminarian. (laughs) So I just passed my particular pastime on to him which he was using it all where already a lot. I gave him a good deal too, so I wasn't, ex- wasn't exhorting anything from him. But then what I saw happen, like I saw these, a couple of major effects in my life. Like one on a very practical level is like, I started actually taking greater care of my physical well-being. Like I actually started going to work out. I started running at that point in my life, which became a great stress reliever and a great way for me to kind of manage my emotions. Right, so like St. Francis Sales, why I bring him up is like, because I struggle to rein those in. I'm a very passionate individual. And so that helped me to like manage some of that. I spent more time in prayer. Like not only did I do like the mandatory times of prayer and not only was I getting up early enough to like do a little bit of prayer before mass, but now it was like, I was making an active effort to make sure I was spending like an hour of my day in silent prayer with the Lord. That wasn't happening before willingly. Like, we had holy hours at the seminary, but like other times of the week where we didn't have that, like I didn't really do it. And so that started happening. So my spiritual life began to improve, and I, I felt like a lot of the, like the clutter just like going away in my life. And then the third thing was like I became good friends with like so many guys. Like before I had friends in seminary, but it was like I started to get to know the majority of guys in seminary. Like, I probably hung out with three-quarters of them on a monthly basis for a significant portion of time by the time I, was, I left. Before, it was like four or five guys I hung out with and who you would, like, spend a meal with, right? Mandatory meal with, who I sat next to. So it ultimately was like this moment, and it was freeing because it was like, oh, man, like, I like this 
this, you know, like to use a Matthew Kelly phrase, which I don't always like Matthew Kelly books, but like it was like a better version of myself, right? Like, oh man, this is, this is better. Like people like me more. I like me more. Like this is a win-win. Do I still want to play video games? Absolutely. Like I still think back to Halo and I still have like, yeah, I just, I love it, man. Like I do. But I had to let go of it in order to take that next step forward. And oftentimes those sufferings in our life are like us letting go because then they also prepare us for those moments. Like, like in moments of our life whenever we need to learn to let go and where we need to learn to surrender to God's will even though we don't understand it all. Like prepare yourself for those moments. Like because, for example, my senior year of high school, my uncle Steve died in a tragic accident, and Steve and I were close. He was my uncle that I was closest to. I dealt with it horribly. I was angry at God. I withdrew from my family, and I was very despondent. But ironically, like his daughters, who he was their dad, were dealing with it better. And I was like, what the heck is wrong with me? But then it became abundantly clear. Like Steve was a faithful man and he taught so many things and his daughters just taught me all the ways in which he taught them about the faith in very small ways, nothing super profound. And all of a sudden I began to realize like, it's because they are totally sure that he loved them They're totally sure that he would want nothing more for them than for them to be happy. And they are totally sure that they can entrust their dad to our Lord. And so at an even younger age than me, because like their oldest was younger than me, they were able to process this in a way much different than myself. Now, it's not to say they didn't have difficulties and there weren't, but I'm saying like, there was a certain aspect of that experience that really showed me the way in which Steve raised them because also he required a lot of them. They had a lot more chores and there was a lot more that they took on and he was much more direct with like passing that faith on to them. But it also prepared them in some way for that moment. Like I'm not saying that that's like God's providential will. It's God's permissive will that that happens. But it, God did use it to like teach me a valuable lesson about like, I approach that as though you're out to get me, Lord, and now I'm going to make everybody else's life miserable. Maybe not willingly. Like, it isn't like I was purposely lashing out at others to like cause them harm or pain. But nonetheless, that's what was happening. And so in your life, like embracing the sufferings that we encounter allow us to then be there for others. And I just, I don't mean just be there, but also to be ourselves because like the world doesn't need another, you know, let's list off, like doesn't need another Gemma Golgani, another Gianna Mullah. They need another whoever you are. 
like in the sufferings that you're going to encounter in your life, because all of them encounter different forms of sufferings that were both their choice and not their choice. But there's this great line from Insigne Jesu, which is a book that was written by a Benedictine priest, and it's his conversations with the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And there's one thing that the Lord said to him that I've repeated so many times. I'm sure if you're from any one of my parish, you've probably heard me quote it at least a million times. But it's so important. Like, you should admire the saints, but you're not called to imitate them. You should admire the saints, but you should not imitate them. Your path is your own. Like, the important thing for each one of us is, like, as I'm sharing part of my own story, different stories of saints and how I've experienced other people encountered, like, recognize your story is not mine. You can learn something from what I've shared tonight, but ultimately, I've learned all this stuff because of the Lord's grace in my life that I had a personality that I'm gutsy. I'm going to try it. Like, what the heck? Let's do this. Like, that's not always the case. Like, I'm still terrified of certain things. There's still certain decisions I quake before I take a step, or there's certain homilies where it's like, I don't want to talk about that, Lord, but fine. Like, I'm not saying I'm not terrified, but what I am saying is like, the Lord gave me that particular grace. And I think it's something that I want to encourage all of you, not that you were called to be me. But in your own life, like, I don't know the ways in which we all stay stagnant, right? Like, what is your Xbox 360? What is it that's keeping you from following our Lord more fervently? What are perhaps those things that you can't control, but you let bother the living heck out of you? Like, I let my uncle's death navigate my life and and just, like, cause me to become despondent. What are the things in your life that are happening to you, to someone you love, that have happened to someone you love, that you're letting navigate your path in a bad way? Like, obviously, like, Steve, in many ways, his death navigated me towards the seminary because I saw his daughter's faith, and I'm like, I want some of that, and it caused me to grow. But what are the things in my life that I'm allowing to navigate in a bad way? I'm depressed and therefore I go home each night. I eat more than I should. I don't do anything. I don't talk to anyone. I know I'm called to be holy, but you know what? I'm just going to go mass and get out. I'm going to sin this week and go to confession this weekend. Like, whatever that may be, like, whatever you're allowing this kind of, like, status quo to settle in, that you're allowing those things, like, this depression or the things to then lead you to commit sin, to not engage with life, to not take a chance, do war against that with our Lord. Like, our Lord wants so much for you. Like, life is amazing. Like, it is hard. And again, like, I go back to Lord of the Rings, like, it's hard. Frodo never fully heals from his wounds. Everyone kind of carries the, and they, and you know, like, Mary and Pippin even carry those wounds, like, 
Sam is forever affected by that. Like they're all forever changed and not necessarily in all the best ways. But they are ultimately more than they were. Each and every one of you like are called to be more than you are now. I'm called to be more than I currently am. I have certainly not reached the peak of priesthood because I hope not because otherwise, man, I'm sorry for my people because I have to be so much better. But it's the same thing for each and every one of you. Like God has so much in store for your life. Like life is difficult, but man, it is so worth it. Like whenever I actually engage with it, I actually like I decide to meet my Lord and prayer each day and not just simply plop myself down from the tabernacle and let the shades go down. Has anybody ever done that in prayer where you're just like, I'm going to sit here, but I am not going to let him through. Like, no, I'm going to let him in in prayer. I'm going to make an active choice to begin to change my life. And like in small steps, my like final piece of advice in the midst of all this is also like, Start very small. Like ultimately what I came here tonight to talk to you about was, yes, suffering and difficulties, but I want you to see how those are opportunities for you to grow, become the man or woman God's calling you to be. But you're not going to be that person tomorrow, and you don't have to be that person tomorrow. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? One bite at a time. I think so often in our spiritual lives, like I encounter this all the time at confession, we do what I call carpet bombing. We come in with like all of our sins and we just drop them all and it's like, okay, I need to fix all of this. And it's like, yes, but not all at once. You know, like sometimes whenever people just scatter sin, it's like, okay, instead of trying to address all this, it's like, what's the one thing bothering you? I'll ask them that question. It's like, well, it's this. Okay, well, let's develop a plan on how to overcome that sin. And then two weeks, whenever you maybe gotten a little handle on that one, then you can work on the next. And then two weeks after that, then the next, or a month, or whatever, however long it takes. I'm not saying two weeks is the time frame to set your life up by, sorry. <laughs> but like taking these incremental steps, and then all of a sudden you like realize, like looking back, like, oh, you know, like I left the Shire and now I'm in Mordor. <laughs> Right? Like, holy crap, I got all this way. By the Lord's grace, obviously. But what I want to encourage you to do is, like, look for those areas of your life to where you are suffering and ask the Lord, how are you calling me to be transformed in this? Is this causing suffering because you want me to let go of it? Is it a suffering that you want me to embrace and learn how to engage with? Obviously, if it's sin, then it's the former. And I want to encourage you to simply seek our Lord in the midst of all that because life is an adventure and I really want to see more men and women your age take a lot more chances. Be a lot bolder. I think especially again in vocational stuff, whether that means dating, guys asking girls out, like it's not their job, just to remind you, like, that is your task. Ladies, also don't be afraid of asking, though, because we're stupid. 
like we're thick. But then also like if you feel this beckoning to like religious life, don't fear. Like I was so terrified to go to seminary. I was convinced I'm going to go here for two weeks and I'm done, right? But then it was like, okay, I can, I can be okay here. I can thrive, and now I'm good. Like, not good, like, as in I'm good, because I'm not that good, but, like, as in, like, I'm comfortable with this, and this is where the Lord wants me to be. Like, whatever the situation in life is, like, if you're looking for a perfect life, a perfect spouse, a perfect religious order, a perfect diocese, like, good luck. If you ever find it, let me know. Because there is no ideal. It does not exist. He or she does not exist. That vocation does not exist. So I want to encourage you to really, really take those chances in your life, those little ones. And again, I'm not going to tell you what those are, all of them, because they are yours. I don't know what they are for you. But take those chances because that's what the Lord wants for you. And you'll stumble, you'll bumble, and you'll seem like an idiot at times, but it'll be okay. Like, I have no doubt that all the foolish moves I have made is going to benefit my people one way or another, maybe in a future assignment. I don't know. But it certainly made me a better priest. And taking those chances, even if you fail, you mess up, you misstep, are going to make you a better husband, wife, father, mother, all the above. So with that, be brave, be bold, and the Lord will take care of many things for you. No problem.